Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to speak to you today about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about the Lordship of Jesus. And as I was praying and thinking about this, one of the things that, that really stood out to me is, is what God does for us when we surrender to his Lordship, when, when we give him everything, God is the only one who is able to redeem even our regrets even our regrets. When I look at Bible characters, I look at David. David had a rough start. I mean, his family didn't treat him right. When I look at Joseph and how Joseph grew up in a dysfunctional family, his brothers wanted to kill him. Instead, they sold him as a slave. He got a, he got a decent job. The boss's wife lied about him. He ends up, he ends up going to jail for a lie. And yet, he, God's hand is on him. He's committed his life to the Lord and God blesses him. God, God watches over him, delivers him from those circumstances. And he is able to say when his brothers come, what you meant for evil, God has turned for good. God sent me here ahead of you to spare your life. And I'm telling you that God is the only one who can take the, the difficult things in your life and in your past and redeem even the regrets in your life and use them for good. My wife and I have a friend who uh, God has done amazing, amazing things in her life. She started off uh, as, a, as a little girl in a, in a family that attended church and tragedy came into her life at a very young age. Her mother was killed in a car accident and uh, her father in his grief and um, uh, I guess it wouldn't be wrong to say lack of wisdom went through about four or five marriages very quickly. And it seemed like every stepmother was worse than the one before. And this little girl was, was yearning for stability and yearning for love of a father who was never around and who was emotionally absent and ended up dating at a very young age. And and uh, beginning to experiment with all kinds of substances and behavior that was just detrimental to her life. And yet, yet even in that, she was, she was able to, uh, to really excel in her schoolwork. She was a 4.0 student. She was the homecoming queen uh, of her senior class. And, and uh, as, as she's about to you know, celebrate homecoming, she shares with her dad that she's five months pregnant and her father kicks her out of the house and she finishes that school year living in her car. She graduated and, and worked several jobs just trying to, to get out of her car and find a place where she could live. She went from bad to worse and things were just incredibly difficult for her. But there was a yearning in her heart. She remembered something about the call of God, about the things that she'd heard when she was in church. 
and the Holy Spirit was dealing with her heart. She began to, she found a church and began to attend and the, and the Lord spoke to her heart and drew her to himself. And as she surrendered her life to the Lordship of Jesus, I'm not telling you that, that her days were not, uh, were not still difficult, but that she had a completely different outlook, a completely different view. And God gave her strength and God began to heal her heart and she began to make progress. She ended up landing a job, a lower level job at a Fortune 500 company. And to make a long story short, she, she grew to uh, uh, receive a position of incredible prominence with that company, married an incredible Christian man, uh, has a wonderful family, and now has a nationwide ministry to single moms. And, and you, you would think, you know, that she would look back and see the difficulty and the hardship and, and all of those things that, that those would be incredible regrets, things she would never want to talk about, things she would want to forget. But I want you to know that she looks at those things, every one of those hard things, those difficult things, every one of those heartbreaks was a pain that helped draw her to Jesus, to turn her to him. And as she surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, he re- deemed every one of those regrets and now she uses them as tools to bring hope and bring life to young women who are trapped as single moms in a very in very difficult trying circumstances and situations I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what God does in our hearts and in our lives when we surrender to him. And I want you to know that when you give your life to Jesus When you surrender to his lordship, I want you to know that you are born again with a new nature inside of you. You're no longer a victim. God has created you to be a winner, to be a conqueror, to be more than a conqueror, to be an overcomer. And God wants to give you his kingdom authority in your life. And the authority that God gives us over every circumstance, over every bit of opposition is some up in this one phrase, a phrase very familiar to all of us, and it's this, that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. And the world and the flesh and the devil himself should never exercise authority over any child of God. First Corinthians chapter 15 And verse 57 says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And this is from the amplified version, gives us the victory, making us conquerors. That means that he strengthens us. It means that he makes us stronger than the opposition that is coming against us. It means that he empowers us with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He puts inside of us the greatest power in the universe so that that we can be conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. His lordship and his authority in our life is tied to you and I recognizing, believing that he is Lord and surrendering to his lordship. And I just want you to know God's authority, this kingdom authority is not for rebels. And as we surrender to his lordship, that authority is, is powerful in our hearts and in our lives. In Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 7, 
There's several verses here I want to look at. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church and he says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Let me just say that again. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now here's a little bit of the backstory here in Romans chapter 14. Paul's writing to church that that uh, that he loved, a church that he yearned for, a church that he administered uh, to these people and cared deeply about them. And the church is experiencing a lot of turmoil. They're experiencing a lot of a lot of division. A lot of uh, a lot of people are criticizing one another over differences of opinions. And the differences of opinions they have are about days, certain days of the week, and how we should treat those days of the week. They're about diet, what's okay to eat, and what what shouldn't we eat. It's about different types of behavior. And what Paul says to the church is this. He says, stop criticizing one another. Stop trying to prove that your opinion is better than somebody else's opinion. Instead, what you need to know, the most important thing for you to focus on is that you belong to Jesus and that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And that whether we live or whether we die, we belong to to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what, what does that word mean? When we talk about Jesus being Lord, what does that word mean? Uh, it, sometimes it's used as a title of respect, like you would call someone sir. But when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about something that's several clicks above that. We're talking about one who has absolute power. One who has absolute authority. We're talking about the owner. We're talking about the master. And it's a shame, but there are some believers that, that are not familiar with this concept. And let me, let me just see if I can illustrate it like this. Suppose that your car, your vehicle, whether it's a car or a truck, suppose that that represents your life. Okay? Suppose that, that the vehicle that you drive, that that represents your life. And suppose it's newer than the one that you're driving right now and in better shape than one you're driving right now. Suppose it's, it's just really, really a nice car. And let's also suppose that we're still in the last part of last year, in the middle of grinding season. And let's suppose that dirt and grime and all that stuff, that that is representative of sin. So your vehicle is representative of your life and all the dirt and grime that gets on our vehicle is representative of sin. And we're in the middle of grinding season, a perpetual grinding season. And so when the trucks, the cane trucks pass by, they spray your car with dirty mist. They spray your vehicle with dirty spray. So it's dirty from top to bottom. You've got to turn your windshield wipers on even when it's not raining because the spray 
spray and the mist from the, from the cane trucks. And, and you're driving through mud that's been tracked on, and not just ordinary mud, not topsoil mud. We're talking about gumbo mud. It sticks to your car like a brick and it won't come off. And on top of that, there's road tar. And then there's bug guts, you know, from, from bugs and things that, you know, I've, there've been times when I've been driving down the road at night and I thought it was raining and it wasn't raining. It was bugs I was driving through. And just suppose that your vehicle is now not just dirty, it is filthy. And your vehicle represents your life and all of that dirt and grime and road tar and bug juice and everything represents sin. And we come to Jesus because we've been told that Jesus will take our sin. We come to Jesus because we're told that not only will he take our sin, but he will cleanse us and he will remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. So we drive up and we say, Jesus, here I am. I'm dirty. I'm filthy and I need help. And Jesus comes and he gets a bucket of water and he gets a rag and he begins to wash and scrub and he wrings out the rag and washes it in the, in that bucket of water. And he goes on the, from the top down around the windows and the hood and the trunk and the side. And then he details, you know, all the little cracks and crannies and he, he shines up the wheels and the tires and he works until our vehicle is as clean as before it was new. When it was sitting on the showroom floor, it had dust on it. There's not even dust on it now. It is clean. And because we've heard that Jesus will take our sins and that, that if we come to him, that he will, he will cleanse us and that he'll remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. We look at that shiny new car and we're so happy, we're overjoyed and, and we know how, how Jesus has been presented to us. And so we take that bucket of filth and grime and just horrible junk and we bring that to Jesus and we say, Jesus... Jesus here, here's all my filth, here's all my sin, here's all my dirt. And, and you said that you would take and I want to give it to you. And I just thank you, Jesus. And we get in our car and we drive away. And Jesus is like, wait, I, I, I don't just want your sin. I want you. I don't just, we act sometimes like Jesus is in the business of collecting sin. You know, like some people collect things and they, they've got a showcase where they put them on shelves and look, oh, look at all my stuff. We act like Jesus's best room in his house are buckets of sin that people have brought to him. Jesus is not in the business of collecting our sins. He wants us. He wants you. He wants me. He wants all of us, every part of our being, every part of who we are. And so we come to him and we surrender our lives to his lordship, to his control. Even, even our, when, when we are baptized in water, the symbolism of that, and everyone understands you, it's a, it is an outward expression of an inward work and it typifies us dying and being being buried and then being raised again in resurrection, life, and power. But even that symbolism, in the fact that, that we stand there and we put our hands over our chest. And if it was me, this is what I'd want to do. But no, no, the symbolism is I put myself in somebody else's hands. And I'm laid down backwards. And that's a little awkward. 
And that's a little disconcerting for some people when they think about going underwater. And I have no control. And I'm trusting that the one who's going to lay me down is also going to raise me up. And so when I come to Jesus and I surrender my life to his lordship, what I'm doing is saying, I'm not in control anymore. I am not in, I am giving you control over every area of my life. In Romans chapter 14, verse nine, we just read this verse. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so he might be the Lord, both of the dead and the living. This is a foundational truth in the New Testament that Jesus is Lord, that he is Lord. Jesus Christ is referred to as Lord over 747 times in the New Testament. And I, I just want to tell you, I, this is not about, I'm not going to argue with anyone about semantics. Many times we use this phrase, you know, would you like to make Jesus the Lord of your life? And I, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not here to split hairs, but just to make a point, you can't make Jesus Lord. He's already Lord. He is the Lord. And you and I can't make him Lord. Here are the two most, most important questions that you could answer. Number one, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And number two, have you surrendered to his lordship of your life? Meaning, I'm no longer in control. I'm giving him every part of my life. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36 Peter is preaching it on the day of Pentecost. And he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. There's no question about this. It's not open to argument or negotiation. I want you to know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of everything that you have, everything you do? Is he the Lord of your thoughts and your conversation and every part of your, of your being? Jesus has the right to claim lordship over us because of his death. He died to be Lord for this very reason. Romans 14, 9, for this very reason, Christ died. He has the right to claim that title as Lord. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You're not the way, if you're going to be a child of God, we grow into this understanding of his ownership over our life. And as long as we are following him, he begins to peel back the layers of our life and show us more and more areas that need to be surrendered to him as we follow. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. There, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians today in America, and they don't understand this truth. They've never come to grips with this truth. They attend church and they do a lot of religious things, but they are still the boss of their own life. They do what they want to do. They think, they say, they act, doing everything that they want to do. And you and I need to understand that salvation at its very core, salvation means a change in ownership. That's what salvation is. 
I'm no, I don't own myself anymore. I have surrendered and I don't belong to Satan. I have given my life and control of every part of my life. And I want you to know, when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, that is wonderful news. That is incredible news because Jesus is the only one who knows how to manage our lives better than us. Jesus is the one who knows how to, how to, to, to order the events of our life. Some people think, well, you know, why, why does Jesus want to be Lord? Does he, you know, does he just want to be the boss? No, no, he's already the boss. Well, does he just want power? No, he's already got power. He wants to be your Lord because he's the only one that can make your life complete. He's the only one who can bring to pass all of the potential that is buried inside of you. He's our only hope of being the best that we can possibly be. I want you to know that that Jesus being Lord is more than just words that we say. It's got to come from our heart. It's what we believe. Paul wrote this to the Christians about the Lordship of Jesus. And when he wrote this, these, these believers were under threat of death if they declared that Jesus only is the Lord. And the reason for that is because Caesar claimed to be more than just an emperor. He claimed to be God. And so people were stopped and people were questioned and people were interrogated. And when people, uh, you know, would meet soldiers, they, 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 it was not uncommon for them to be asked, uh, is Caesar Lord? Is Caesar Lord? And the Christians would declare Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And if they were willing to compromise and say, Jesus is Lord, but so is Caesar, everything would be okay. But these Christians remembered the first of the Ten Commandments, that you shall have no other gods before me. And when they declared that Jesus only is Lord, they were thrown in dungeons, they were burned at the stake, they were thrown to lions and wild beasts, but they declared boldly and confidently that Jesus only is Lord. Sometimes, sometimes we get the, the idea that I can have parts of Jesus that I want. I hear that he's my savior. I don't want to go to hell. I want him to be my savior. And I hear that he is a healer. And I definitely want him to be my healer. I hear that he's a provider and I want that. Let me, let me, let me explain something to you. When uh, almost 46 years ago, when I married Miss Lynn, I stood before the pastor of her church, and he asked me, he said, will you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? And I said, I do. And it took me years to figure out what I did, but I'm so glad that I said I do. I, I really, I really am. But can you imagine, especially those of you who know my wife well, can you imagine what it would have been like if when he asked me that question, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? If I had answered like this, well, yes, you know, I take this woman to be my housekeeper, but I still want to do what I want to do. And I take this woman to be my cook, but I still want to go where I want to go. And I take this woman to be, uh, to do my laundry, but I still want to be my own man. I don't even think I would have gotten that far. 
she would have spoken up loudly, clearly, and she would have said, now wait just a minute, Paul Neal. Here at this wedding, at this marriage, I want you to know that I will be your housekeeper and I will be your cook and I will do the laundry. But the only way that that is going to happen is if you give me all of your heart and you pledge your love and loyalty to me for the rest of your life, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, so help you God. When I came to her, there were a lot of things I didn't understand about marriage. We're almost, almost 46 years we've been married. I'm still learning about marriage. I'm still learning about marriage. But there, here's what I can tell you. When we started, I gave all of, I wanted this woman. I'm just telling you right now, I wanted her. I wanted all, that's why I put a ring on her finger. I wanted her to be mine. I don't understand this new generation where people live together and they don't put a ring on. The only reason I can think of to not put a ring on is you're still looking for something better, keeping your options open. I don't know. I'm not saying that's your motives, but I'm telling you, I wanted her. I wanted all of her. And the price was all of me, all of me. And that's how it was when I came to Jesus. I wanted all of him. I wanted, I needed a savior. I needed a healer. I needed a deliverer. I need someone who'd provide for, for I needed, and the price was all of me for all of him. And I'm still learning things about him, just like I'm learning things about marriage. But this is the basis of the beginning of our walk with God. We can't come to Jesus like we're coming to the Piccadilly cafeteria and saying, I'll have some ribs and give me some of that brisket. And I want a big plate of that etouffee right there. But let me tell you what, the, those... Uh, that spinach, I don't like spinach. I don't want any spinach. And asparagus, you can keep that. I don't care for any of that today. And green beans, you can have that. But I want a double portion of bluebell. I want three chocolate chip cookies and a big glass of sweet tea. That's what I want. And we can't come to Jesus like that. We can't come to him and say, oh, I need some savior today. That's what I need. I want some savior and I'd like to have, I'd like to have some healing and I'll need a double portion of provision. Yes, sir. I need some, but that Lordship, I'm going to let you keep that. I I don't, I want to be my own boss. I want to make my own decisions. I want to go where I want to go. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is our savior, our healer, our deliverer, our provider, our peace, our joy, our strength, our comforter. He's my wisdom, my hope, my king, my conqueror, my counselor, my prince of peace. He's the mighty God, the everlasting father. He is the great I am. He's the one with absolute power and absolute authority. He is my owner and my master. And if you want all that he gives, you have to receive all that he is. Jesus has every right to be Lord, not only because of his death, but because of his resurrection. He demonstrated his power to be Lord when he rose from the dead. Because Jesus is Lord, he owns everything. 
everything. No man can serve two masters. Jesus will not be a part-time Lord, a part-time king. My heart is not a duplex, one side for me and one side for him. He is not Lord over the 10% of my tithes that I bring to him and I get to do what I want with the other 90%. No, he's Lord over 100%. And that 10% tithe that I bring to him is representative of all the rest. And I'm saying, you own it all. And thank you for allowing me to manage what you own. But this is representative of my time, my talent, my strength, my ability, my health, and my finances. And I return to you what is already yours. Because I need to be reminded. Because Jesus is Lord, I give him my unquestioned obedience. My unquestioned obedience. Would you just think about this for a minute? Jesus demonstrated authority over the wind and the wind. Who has authority over the weather? He said, hush, be still. And the wind stopped and the wave. You know when the wind stops blowing, it takes a while for waves to calm down. Not when Jesus says, hush. Not when, Je- when Jesus stood up and spoke, the wind and the waves were slain in the spirit. Think about it. Jesus, Jesus has authority not only over the weather, the natural elements of the physical earth. He has authority over the spiritual realm. Jesus, Jesus showed up in a cemetery one time. Demonic man had 6,000 demons inside of him. But don't ever stop praying for your family, your friends, even if you think they're possessed with demons. 6,000 demons in this man couldn't keep him from coming to Jesus. And Jesus delivered him, set him free. Jesus told those, they, they cried out, have you come to, we know who you are, the, the holy son of God. Have you come to torment us before our time? Jesus rebuked him, told him to leave and they, they left. He has authority over the natural world. He has authority over the spiritual realm. He has authority even over, and that rooster didn't crow until the Lord said, it's time for you to crow. Those guys had fished several occasions, fished all night long, didn't catch a thing. They're fishing on this side of the boat. Jesus said, just try the other side of the boat. When they obeyed, they fished. Jesus whistled, all the fish came, filled up the nets. Isn't it amazing? All of creation, all of the animal realm, all everything in creation obeys him instantly and completely when he speaks. Except, that's right, except us. We want to we want to renegotiate. We want to bargain. We want to whine and cry, and we want to think we know better than the one who created us. Because he's Lord, I give him my unquestioned obedience. Luke six, he says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Why why are you doing? How crazy! How crazy is it?" That we can hear the lie of the enemy and be fearful about surrendering to the lordship of the one who loved us enough that he died for us. The devil has told us that if we surrender totally, completely, every part of our life to Jesus, that we will be miserable for the rest of our life. He'll make us marry somebody we don't want to marry. He'll make us live someplace we don't want to live. He'll make us do something we don't want to do for the rest of our life. We will be ruined if we surrender completely and totally to Jesus. That's what the devil says. And I want you to know that God is the only one who knows what's best for you and me. He's the only one who can see what's coming. 
that we can't even see yet. He's the only one who knows how to prepare us and help us. I want to tell you, you can trust him. You can trust him. He's a good, good father. That's more than just a song. That's a reality. It is the truth. God's will for you is exactly what you would choose for yourself if you knew everything God knows. Just imagine. Just imagine that you're raising a teenager. Just imagine. Some of you don't have to imagine very hard. But just imagine. Some of you are saying, thank God, thank God. Just imagine that you're raising a teenage boy and he comes to you in his, in his second year of being a teenager. And he says, mom and dad, I'd like to talk with you. Could we sit down for a minute? And you're, you're getting the idea, this is a serious talk and you're wondering, oh my goodness, what's going on? He says, mom and dad, I just want you to know that, that I've been watching both of you. And as I've prayed and as I've thought about my life and my future, it's become very, very real to me that you have far more knowledge and wisdom about life than I do. It's become very, very apparent to me that you love me more than I could possibly imagine. And based on the fact that you are wise and that you love me with all of your heart and would not withhold any good thing from me, I want you to know that I am committing right now to obey everything you say to the best of my ability because I want to honor you and I want my life to be pleasing to you. Now, if your teenager said that to you, Claim it, sister, in the name of Jesus. Listen, listen to this. If, if he said that to you, would you and your spouse say, wait just a minute, sit right here? Would you get up and run to the back bedroom, close the door and say, ha, 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 we got him now. We got him now. What can we do to make his life miserable? What can we do to really ruin his future? We've, he's committed himself to obeying and honoring us. What can we do? No, you wouldn't do that at all. Why would you think if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more, how much more? This is the most reasonable thing in all the world to surrender your life entirely and completely to the Lordship. Of Jesus Christ. David says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Don't ever be afraid to trust your life, your future, your heart, your finances, your strength to the one who loves you enough to die for you. Don't ever be afraid to trust him. Jesus is Lord. Not only because of his death, he's Lord. Not only because of the power of his resurrection, but he's Lord because of his exaltation. In Romans 14, verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, as I live. Every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 9, takes a little bit further Paul writes this, he says, God, therefore God exalted him, God lifted him up, 
God exalted him to the highest, not just a high place, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means in heaven, all of the angels, all of the angels confess that Jesus Christ is Lord on earth. That means all of the people, all of the people, not only people, I mean, not only Christian people, but even, even people who've rejected God and said, leave me alone. I don't want to have anything to do with you. There will be a time when all of the people will bend their knee and bow before him and declare with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I think not only, not only, not only human beings, but all of creation. Isaiah 55 says, you'll go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills will burst forth in song before you and all the trees will clap their hands. I believe that all of creation will magnify and praise Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he says, even, even things that are under the earth, the underworld, all of the demons, even the devil himself will bend their knee and, and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord over every single thing. What does it, what does it look like on a practical basis? What does it look like when I surrender myself to the Lordship of Jesus? Let me, let me just give you, this is incomplete, obviously, because we'd be here for an extremely long time listing everything. But let me just tell you a little bit of what it looks like. It means that I take his commands seriously, seriously. One of the portions of scripture that we've looked at a lot as a church in the last few uh, months has been uh, this verse in Matthew 28, where we're commanded to make disciples. And it tells us how to do that. In Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. That's the command. Here's how you do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And look at this verse 20, teaching them to observe. That means to obey all that I have commanded you, teaching them to obey. So what are some things that Jesus commanded us to do? I challenge you to get your Bible, not your phone, but your Bible, and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with a, a, a highlighter or a, a, a colored pencil or something where you can mark all of the commands that you can find. Because this is what we are commanded to do. We are commanded to obey and to teach others to obey all that Jesus commanded us to do. So here's some of the things. We are commanded to repent, to follow Jesus, to be born again, to give without showing off, to forgive as freely as we've been forgiven, to love God, love people, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, don't be judgmental, don't lust, don't give in to anger, seek God and his kingdom first, treat others the way you want to be treated, pray for more helpers, cast your burdens on him, honor your parents, don't split those that God has joined together, receive the Holy Spirit and keep his commands, all of his commands. That's a very incomplete list, but it's a, it's a start. And so when I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus, I take those things seriously. They are not suggestions. I do not treat them like suggestions. I treat them as instruction for my life. I, I, I treat them as this is instruction from the manual that tells me how life will work best 
And I want life to work. I want God to redeem even the regrets of my past. And he can do that. So it means, it means when I surrender to the Lord, it means that I give him the first part of every day, the first 10% of my income and the first day of every week. I surrender that into his hands. But that's just representative of the entirety of, of my life, the entirety of my finances, the entirety of my will. That's just representative. I start my day every day by thanking him for all that he's done for me, for his goodness, his kindness, for his mercies to me. I thank him. Sometimes I thank him for things that may seem crazy. I thank him for indoor plumbing sometimes. Sometimes I thank him for paved roads because I'm telling you what, it's a blessing. And you may say, well, you know, God didn't have it. Well, I beg to pardon. I, I, I beg to differ. I think God has a lot to do with all of those things. And we don't have the time to dig down into, into the, 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 the depths of reasoning about that right now. But it is not wrong to give God thanks that, that you have a car that starts when you turn the key, that you got food in your fridge, that you got a roof over your head, that your eyeballs work, that your hands work, your feet work, that God's given you brain cells so you still remember your name when you wake up. It is not wrong to be thankful for everything that comes to your mind, your family, your savior. I mean everything. Because the world does not need one more person to point a finger and say, well, that's what's wrong. The world does need people who know how to be thankful and find the good and find the blessing in every situation, in every circumstance. And then after I've given thanks, I ask God for help. I ask God to help me. I ask God to help me with my day. I ask God to help me with the decisions that I'm going to be making. I ask him to, to help me with the things I'm facing and the things that are going to come later on in the day. Some of them, I don't even know what's coming. But I ask him to help me because I want to exalt his name. I want to honor him. And I, I want to represent him rightly, correctly. And so I thank him for his kindness and his mercy towards me and towards my family. And I pray for my family and the people that I'm ministering to by name every single day. I lift up my children, my grandchildren, and the people that, that I'm meeting with. I call their name in prayer, and I ask God for his kindness, his mercy, his strength, and his help for them. I, I, I ask God uh, to do all of that, and then I spend time reading the love letter that he sent me, the instruction manual that he's given me, and I do my best to apply it to my life and to obey his commands. I ask him to help me with choices and decisions that I'm going to make today. And I don't make any big decisions without talking to him about it. I don't make any big because I need to be careful. I want to know his will, not mine. I want to know his timing, not mine. I want to process maybe uh, with some other people, maybe with my pastor, maybe with some godly friends. I want to talk it over and I want to look for his peace in every decision. The benefits of his lordship are too many to count. And they are priceless. He cares for me. He cleanses me. He gives me his peace. He empowers me with his spirit. I'm never alone. Never alone. He delivers me from fear. He fills me with joy. He gives me strength for today and hope for tomorrow. I can't live without him. He doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. He's wonderful. He's my savior. He is my Lord. If you have started this journey with Jesus, 
you've begun to follow the Lord. And maybe there's been some confusion or some questions or you've just kind of lapsed into some old behavior of taking control yourself and doing some things on your, your own without submitting and surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. I can't think of a better time than right now to say, Lord, I want to make a change. I want to turn that around. I want to embrace you with everything that is in me. If that's you, if you have that desire, stand to your feet right now. I want to pray for you. Come on, come on real quickly. You want Jesus to be Lord over every area of your life. You want to stop living your life as though you were the boss and you want to surrender to his lordship. Lord, you see every person who's here. You know every detail of our lives. And I pray for these that are here standing right now. I pray, God, that you would strengthen and empower them, that you would open the windows of heaven, pour out your grace and blessing upon them. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us, number one, to believe with all of our being that Jesus is the Lord already. It's settled in heaven. You are the Lord. No one else is. And Lord, secondly, we surrender to your Lordship in our life. Please take control. Please have your way. We honor you. We praise you. We bless you in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.